0: Welcome to episode
1: four, Approaching Zion. So,
0: this episode, we're definitely going to be getting into some heavier topics, but some topics that are a natural outgrowth of our previous episodes.
1: I just want to, I'm just going to say it. This episode's going to be awesome. It's,
0: <laughs> it's going to be legit, or it's going to be totally off the rails. And we're not going to edit anything. So, What we say is what you get.
1: So our last episodes, we've talked about the doctrine of Christ, which led up to the Holy Ghost and personal revelation. Then we talked about light and truth. We talked about the light of Christ. We talked more about the Holy Ghost and all that, of course, leads us to personal revelation. Today we're going to be talking about the fullness of personal revelation and salvation and exaltation and like you said these are very sacred topics topics that we don't
0: we understand the gravity around them we don't take them lightly however we have come to realize through our discussions with others on the covenant path that there is a a bit of a lack of understanding if exactly where the light, the truth, the understandings of the gospel can lead you and the blessings that can be obtained. And so this podcast is meant to educate and enlighten and uplift those who are walking the covenant path, our covenant brothers and sisters, to understand the opportunities ahead of them, and then to go to the Lord and start to make sense of and rationalize and understand these things personally, independently, outside of our knowledge and our understanding. Right. So we're just trying to get people inspired and l- having them something, something to look down the road towards and keep moving down the journey and the path that they're on.
1: So we should go ahead and say the subject of this episode. Good point. <laughs> we're going to be talking about the second comforter and making you're calling an election sure, which, is, which are both related to the knowledge that uh, you will become exalted and receive the blessings and privileges of eternal life in the life to come, which is the ultimate blessing that we as followers of Christ are seeking.
0: Ultimately, what we're going to try to talk about today are things that in the church are often assumed or lightly touched on but we never really get into the weeds or really specific yeah we never really get into the specifics about what do we mean by saying x y and z
1: or how does it actually
0: apply how do i apply this to my life right and in our studies from other others in positions of authority in particular the prophet joseph smith this This topic or these topics were something near and dear to his heart. And he wanted the saints to have an understanding of these things. And that's what we're trying to do.
1: So, kind of the first question that came up was, well, why isn't this talked about much today? I made the joke that the last person to talk about it was Joseph Smith. (laughs) No, that's not quite true. But it's not subject matter that is talked about specifically and directly much at all going to the gospel library and putting and calling an election. There's not a lot of, of general conference talks that pop up. Yeah. Like the last one I think we found might've been Bruce R. Mm-hmm. in the eighties. Yeah. And, and I don't think that's accidental. I
0: do think that the, the brethren as the church has grown as, as the, the population, the understanding, the, the, um, just kind of some of the cultural.
1: Well, as the church has grown and gotten bigger and more global.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. You you're dealing with a lot more members. Yep. You have to focus on the least of these, people who maybe don't have
0: the background and the understanding to talk about, you know, this the the second comforter. Talk about having your calling and election made sure. Some of these things that well, that cement eternal life in that discussion. So there are bigger priorities. Well, because
1: Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, those early prophets, when they were preaching, when they were giving a sermon, you know, when Brigham Young was giving a sermon in the tabernacle, who was he speaking to? Well, those were the elect. Yeah. He was speaking to the 70s. And Joseph to other apostles. When Joseph
0: was restoring the gospel, that's. Specifically who the Lord was looking for was the elect to to really kick off the restoration and to have faithful saints.
1: Uh, And as we're going to see here, a lot of some of our subject matter is coming from like the school of the prophets. Mm. Who who was the audience?
0: Those that would become the leaders Uh, of the church. Apostles. Yes, exactly right.
1: So today the church is preaching to a much more general audience. General conference. Yep. How about that? It's like they know what they're doing. <laughs> so as the church becomes more and more global, the subject material has to become a little more fundamental. Yep, foundational, and that's, and that's good. Yeah, that's that. That's what the need is, and that allows everyone to be edified, and those who might be ready for something a little deeper or something a little more. Well, the resources are available for us to feast upon the words in our own time and through other resources that are available to us.
0: Well, and let's be honest as well. If if we can't get the majority of the people out just ministering to people who live a block away or a mile away or 10 miles away, there's not a lot of point to focus on. Here's how you have your calling and election made sure. Here's how you receive the second comforter. Here's what these things even are. Like There's too many not even doing the basics, to where we can move on to advanced curriculum, so to speak, you know.
1: (laughs) So the next question I had was, well, why should this be talked about? We've established it's not talked about a whole lot publicly anymore. The doctrine is clear. I mean, most of our references are straight out of the scriptures. Doctrine and Covenants has quite a few amazing teachings and references about these these subjects. So why should we be talking about this? Maybe not, maybe not from the pulpit at General Conference, but why should we be talking about this, or why should we study and know about these things, maybe individually, personally? And the first thing we have to share is actually a quote from the Prophet Joseph Smith himself, For he said, I would exhort you to go on and continue to call upon God until you make your calling and election sure for yourselves by obtaining this more sure word of prophecy. So Joseph Smith's answer to that question, his exhortation, is that we should be talking about this, studying about it, for ourselves, for our own salvation. And it's an exhortation. He's saying this is important.
0: And and one of the reasons we feel impressed to speak on this is, like so many things in the gospel, we've discovered it's preparatory. It is not the final blessing or the final outcome well, the th- that th- the Lord intends for you to receive. The things we right?
1: receive... Yes. On our covenant path.
0: Yes. Are all preparatory. And that's what we're trying to help illuminate for people is there is a covenant path. And so often we make certain covenants and we do certain things. And then we kind of cap ourselves right there and, and just kind of naturally assume the Lord doesn't have continued blessings for us and opportunities for us. And what we're trying to illuminate is, no, there's even more. Potentially to be received now. There's even more that you can gain in this life, or in the life hereafter, and we're just trying to edify people so that for those who are willing and ready and have a desire for, can start putting in their mind, fixing in their minds, to work towards that goal, to to seek to be more sanctified, more unified with the Lord, be willing to do His will and surrender their will to Him even to a greater degree. And that's ultimately what we're trying to drive in this discussion.
1: And it's important to understand what is the end goal? Well, that's exaltation. Okay, we know that. But what does that look like? How do we get there? What does that mean to be exalted? What does that mean to me personally? This is the subject matter we're discussing today. And if that doesn't interest you, Maybe this isn't the right. Maybe it's time to go find a
0: cat video on YouTube as opposed to this.
1: So why should this be talked about? My other bullet point here was because Bruce R. McConkie said so.
0: As we mentioned, he was one of the more recent apostles that actually very clearly talk about this. And yeah, he was very matter of fact that this is something we should fix in our
1: mind. I've got a quote here. I, I don't think this was from a conference, a general conference. I think he gave this this speech elsewhere. Um, but his words are, Now, what this ought to do to us, so he's he's gone and explained, talked about the possibility of each member, each one of us individually, making our calling and election sure. And he says, This knowledge, understanding these things, what it ought to do to us is cause us to make a firm, unshakable determination to gain the blessings and benefits of baptism. Meaning, exaltation is a promise that is available to us when we're baptized. That's why we're baptized, to accept Christ and pursue exaltation through his atonement. And having the knowledge and understanding of what that exaltation what really means, and that it's available to us to seek and to pursue and even receive in life, having that knowledge should be a motivating force in our lives. It should change how we think, how we live, what we do. It should give us that clear light and direction on where we're going. And when you when you know the path clearly, you can see it in front of you, it's easy to walk it.
0: Well, and I and I think we'll probably talk about this a little more in depth later on in, in the podcast, but what we've discovered is your calling and election is is given to you when you're baptized. You are now called and elected to become and to receive these blessings we're discussing. Mm-hmm. What what we want to further clarify today is how do you have that calling and election made sure? That's where we're going with this. That all who are baptized by holy priesthood, keys, and authority have that calling and election available to them. But there is a way to have that calling and election made sure. Or sealed upon you. Sealed upon you. Right. For eternity. And that's where we're going with this. Is This is not something meant to be received by an elect few of God's covenant children. God intends for as many to receive these blessings as are willing to partake of it.
1: So we're going to talk about the concept and doctrine of the second comforter and making our calling and election sure. And as we'll see, there they are related topics, but they are not the same. Yep. And first thing we'd like to talk about is just the concept of the comforter. In general, we were saying second comforter. Well, that means there's a first comforter. So who are these comforters and how do they apply to us? Uh, The first scripture we like to pull up here is from John, John 14, where you can look at 23 uh, 23 to 26. Let me hop over here. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which is sent me. These things I have spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So we have Jesus teaching about the Comforter. He starts by talking about keeping the commandments, acquiring that light and truth, um, the importance of our works in following him. And then he says... He won't always be here, and when he leaves, he will send a comforter. And who is that comforter? The Holy Ghost. No, our last two episodes, we've gone into the Holy Ghost in depth and personal revelation and the role of that first comforter. And, I mean, it cannot be understated how necessary and important the Holy Ghost is on this covenant path and on this journey of seeking our exaltation. Well, and
0: as we discussed in our last episode... At baptism, which is the start of calling an election, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost to receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost that is obtained so that we can be sanctified as we make further covenants with the Lord, right? As we remain true and faithful, as we go to the house of the Lord and continue down that covenant path. So that is basically a summary of how do we receive a fullness of the first comforter that Christ himself promised to us
1: and then we're going to scroll up here to verse 16 and Jesus says I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever so we've got the comforter and we have another comforter And let's read a little bit about what Joseph Smith um, said about this other comforter. The prophet Joseph Smith said, After a person has faith in Christ, repents of his sins, and is baptized for the remission of his sins, and receives the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands, which is the first comforter, then let him continue to humble himself before God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and living by every word of God. Then it will be his privilege to receive the other comforter, which the Lord hath promised the saints. Now what is this other comforter? It is no more, no less, than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The first comforter is the Holy Ghost. The second comforter, or the other comforter, is Jesus Christ.
0: So when I hear you say something like that, I can just imagine a lot of people hearing it saying to themselves, you mean to tell me that the second comforter spoken of that we apparently should be seeking after is somehow or some way a personal relationship with, or understanding of, manifestation even, from Christ himself. The short answer to that is, yes, absolutely. And we'll have several examples here coming up, but what we want to fix in people's mind is, as a child of God, and as one who Christ loves eternally and infinitely, Why would you not, through your faithfulness, qualify to then receive the second comforter, which is Christ Jesus? Once again, we need to understand we cannot limit what is available to us. We should not limit what the Lord has prepared for us. And we should be doing the opposite without limitations, running and seeking after those blessings that he's willing to bestow upon us. But too often we allow the things of this world to distract and to persuade us to spend time putting our efforts and our energies elsewhere to where we cannot receive the second comforter that Christ promises.
1: Yeah, the scriptures say you should run faster than you have strength. That doesn't mean you shouldn't run as fast as, as you, you have, have strength. <laughs> right? Right. So, in John 14, in verse 23, which we read earlier, Jesus said, If a man love love me, he will keep my words, my Father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our abode with him. So, Christ is, is referencing this other, other comforter, comforter yeah. saying the Father and the Son will make their abode with that person. And that's actually clearly taught in doctrine and covenants 130 verse 3 it references john 1423 joseph smith was it was revealed to joseph smith that the appearing of the father and the son in that verse is a personal appearance if that just doesn't bring joy and hope to your soul and give you that clear direction of how we should be living our life and what we should be seeking, what will. That is everything. And I think of the appearing of the Father and Son, the first thing that comes to my mind is the first vision. That's what Joseph Smith perceived when he prayed to know um, which church was true, and he was called to be the prophet of the restoration. And that was important. That was, an, that was important doctrinally, just to restore the nature of God to the world and our relationship with him as his, as his children. But to me, the first vision, the importance of it, is that God was not only restoring his nature, his, his identity to the world, God was restoring his visitation to the world. God was restoring the fact that the Father and the Son— can make personal appearances to man. And that's what the restoration of the gospel is all about. It's about restoring you and me individually to the presence of the Father and the Son. And that's the other comforter. That's the greater comforter that is available to us.
0: Joseph was almost pleading with, and, and desperate to have the saints understand that this opportunity was available to them as well. One of the amazing things about the prophet Joseph, he was in a position to really take far more liberties or far more uh, advantage of the miraculous things that had happened to him, but he understood the gospel the eternities and, and the deeper meanings of what it meant to receive truth. And he knew how important it was for people to understand these blessings he had received were available to them as well. Now that does not mean that God is going to appear to you and say, you are now the prophet and you don't need to listen to the man who I have ordained through the proper mechanisms as the prophet of God. That is not what we're trying to imply in any way. And those that claim such are wrong and they're false. That's that's absolutely not the way the Lord works. The Lord has a structure in place through his ordained mechanisms to, us, to us establish and to maintain the affairs of his kingdom. However, you should not limit what the Lord can do for you personally as a patriarch of your family and the guidance he can re- he can he can reveal to you in your life and and the journey and the path you should be walking down.
1: Well, and that's exactly what it says. It is a personal appearance,
0: meaning it's for you. Mm-hmm. That
1: is just for you.
0: I actually appreciated in general conference they talked about this the subject recently. I can't remember which apostle it was. Um was it Renlund? I I don't remember. But they were talking about how they had a gentleman he knew, a brother he knew came to him and said, hey, I know the Lord is revealing new scripture. He wants me to go into this building and find this new scripture that needs to be revealed to the world. And he immediately knew, no, that's not that's not how this works. And we're saying the same thing. There is an established method. There's an established pattern for um, how these things for the church and for God's kingdom in total are are established and maintained.
1: You can receive everything that Joseph Smith received. You can receive everything that President Nelson is receiving. You can receive things that President Nelson hasn't yet received. But if you receive any or all of those things, it is just for you. It's not for the church. It's not for anybody else. It's for you. That is a reward and a result of you seeking personally and drawing nearer to God personally. And... There is no limit to the blessings that God will give those who seek him.
0: Clearly, there is an, a, a certain level of understanding and proper context that has to take place in order for people to begin to understand how these things can be. Because we're not saying the Lord's going to appear to you and call you to do these things that would would go against Mm-hmm. or would change the doctrine of the church. We're not saying that at, at all in any way. But what we are trying to help people with, to achieve higher, to reach higher, is the blessings of heaven, all of those blessings, including, up to and including, a personal witness of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and, and of the Father who sent His Son, is available to you. That's what we're trying to say. We're not going any further than that. We're just saying for you personally, this is available to you. Figure out in your life how to make this happen.
1: And so when we're talking about the second comforter, it's a personal appearance or it's the father and the son taking up abode or abiding with you. So that could certainly be a, visual or physical manifestation but as we know oftentimes seeing angels or receiving these kind of visual manifestations aren't really converting forces that's not really that that's not exactly the experience or the end goal that we're seeking it's it's not just being able to say you were in the same room with them or that you saw them with your natural eyes. It's its its something that's much deeper and much more profound in your heart and in your spirit. It's a much deeper conversion that occurs. So where regardless of if you see them with your eyes or not, that has nothing to do with them abiding with you.
0: Yeah, the, the deeper conversion part. That's what we're after. That's what we're seeking.
1: Well, we're seeking knowledge. The knowledge of the Father and of the Son. And you can know them without seeing them with your natural eyes. There's even... I always find it interesting that the first vision, Joseph Smith calls it a vision, not a visitation. Because it's... Is it was it something that happened with his natural eyes or was it something that he was transfigured in a sense and received them with spiritual eyes now when you're trying to explain what you what just happened to you how else would you say it than you saw them how would how how do you describe to someone i saw something with my spiritual eyes the only way to describe that is by saying that you saw it yeah there's no there's no other way to communicate that but it's just the expectation is, is a little deeper and a little more profound than maybe even words can convey. So we just have to do the best we can with, with, with the language and, and our ability to communicate it.
0: Well, and I think that's what we're getting at is when you understand how to receive revelation, legit, real revelation from the other side, it does communicate with you on a deeper level than just what you see and what you hear with your physical senses, right? When you when the spirit bears witness to you in a in a way that is so powerful and so unique to you and it connects with you on a spiritual level, there's a power there that can't be duplicated physically. And and what we're saying with this is the spirit through, through you, the spiritual aspect of you, you can receive such a powerful witness of Christ and of God, the father, you can receive this second comforter. Even if it's from a, a spiritually, a, a revelatory spiritual aspect that doesn't happen with your physical
1: eyes. Mm-hmm. Doctrine and Covenants 88 talks a little bit about the same concept. Wherefore, I now send upon you another comforter, even upon you, my friends, that it may abide in your hearts. So we've already established that the other comforter is Christ, and receiving Him is Him abiding in our hearts, even the Holy Spirit of promise, which other comforter is the same that I promised unto my disciples, my testimony of John. This comforter is the promise which I give unto you of eternal life, even the glory of the celestial kingdom. So, what is the second comforter? Well, it is the promise of eternal life. And who can make that promise? The Son. Jesus Christ is the only one qualified to make that promise. He, it is through him and him alone that we can come unto the father.
0: And that's a really, that's that, that adds another level of clarification for what what do we mean by the second comforter? It's not that Christ is just going to appear or bear witness to you in a special way. That's like, Hey, that was really cool. No, he's going to do it with a purpose. So should you receive this second comforter, this, this additional witness from Christ, it is going to be as part of this witness, the express intent to relate to you the promised blessings of inheriting celestial glory. That's exactly why Christ would come to do it, right? To help you understand and to give you the peace that you, you are qualified for receiving and inheriting what the father has so long as you do not obviously go against the truth you've received and the path that you're moving down.
1: And this ties into some of the subject material from episode two, when we, the doctrine of Christ, uh, when we talked about second Nephi 32, behold, again, I say unto you that if you will enter in by the way and receive the Holy ghost, It will show unto you all things that you should do. First Comforter. First Comforter. Behold, this is the doctrine of Christ. And there will be no more doctrine given until after he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh.
0: Dylan, question. Does the Holy Ghost have flesh?
1: He is a personage of spirit.
0: So who is Nephi referring to here?
1: See episode three. (laughs) So, uh, until he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. So, Christ, right? This is the doctrine of who? Of Christ. And there will be no more doctrine given until he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh. And when he shall manifest himself unto you in the flesh, the things which he shall say unto you, ye shall observe to do. This is what was going on This is what he was teaching in John to his disciples. He won't always be there. Christ was on the earth with them. They had, physically, the other comforter. They were living and learning directly from Christ himself. He was abiding with them. But he wasn't always going to be there, physically. So he gave them more that they should do. In addition to uh, fulfilling the law and... And the first comforter, sending the first comforter, he uh, manifested himself unto them in the flesh and then says, then the things that he tells you to do, you should observe to do. So with this other comforter, with receiving Christ, I mean Christ abiding with you, there are additional things that you will receive and that you uh, will need to observe to do, or rather, you will be observed to see if you do them. And the Holy Ghost will reveal things to you and observe if you do them, and he will lead you to another comforter, Christ. Christ will then give you things you should do and observe and bring you to the Father.
0: So once again, we see the pattern in the Lord's Gospel of I'm going to give you this first. It is preparatory for and a building block towards greater light, greater truth, and greater knowledge to be received. And that's what Nephi is saying right here is, you do what the Holy Ghost tells you to do. That may be a lifetime of, of service and, and, and following the inspiration and revelation of the Holy Ghost. But if you do so faithfully, and not be deterred in any way whatsoever, the day will come when Christ himself will say, well done, I now have further things for you to do. You are now prepared to, to live a higher law, which Christ himself will administer to you and will give unto you.
1: And, and with those things comes the higher promise Of eternal life. So it's still a promise. It's still looking forward, preparatory, but it's from an even greater source. So you start off with the promise given to you from the Holy Ghost, and then you can receive that same promise of eternal life from the Savior, from Jesus Christ. It's the same promise, but how much more intimate and powerful is that to you? Everything is designed to help you receive light and truth, to grow up into a fullness for the Father to be received by the Father, to enter into the presence of the Father. And that when we see him, we can be like him in the sense that we have acquired more light and more truth. We have become more true and faithful in all things. That is the purpose of both comforters, but it's progressive and they have greater roles and greater capacities and gifts that they give us as we progress.
0: I mean, this is a very natural natural thing to happen. If somebody else tells you, hey, so-and-so is going to give you or you're going to receive something from so-and-so or so-and-so said you're doing a really good job at whatever it may be. But when that person themselves comes to you and tells you directly, you've done such an amazing job. I appreciate everything that you have done. Here is the reward that I have for you. How greater is that? It's, it's, it is a deeper, greater level of appreciation of love, of joy and of peace in your heart. And you feel connected to that individual in a deeper sense that you would not be able to otherwise. And that's what Christ is seeking to do is to deepen that connection with us and to show us that greater love that he has to to um, bestow upon us. But you have to prove true and faithful first with what the Holy Ghost is giving you. Because if you can't do that, then the Lord himself cannot just say, well, it's okay. I'm going to go ahead and promise you eternal life. Like, no, line upon line, building block upon building block.
1: So there's lots of examples in the scriptures, of, of of prophets who have received this second Comforter, who have received the promise of eternal life, and a lot of them or most of them come from modern revelation, from scriptures that have been giving us given to us in this dispensation, and that's not by accident. That is. Most definitely, trying to show unto us that it is available to us individually, and we we see that with with Lehi, with Nephi, and, and and their visions that they've had. We see it with with Enos, powerful example, powerful example that we can we we all relate with his his longing and his his desire and that that search that he went through to receive that promise. Alma, brother of Jared. Moses entered into the presence of the Lord. The Lord came and and dined with uh, Abraham. The Lord appeared to Paul. Stephen saw the heavens open uh, and saw the Father and the Son. Of course, Joseph Smith. Uh, I'm sure there's others. But just go through the scriptures, and you can find this over and over and over and over again, that the Lord makes the promise. He gives the promise to people individually. He recognizes their faithfulness and he promises them the eternal life. Now, that's still a promise that will be given to them, and there's still obviously a requirement to continue enduring. Enduring in that path and being true and faithful. But that greater promise gives you greater capacity. And that's the blessing that's available to all of us individually. So two points.
0: First, a lot of what we just referenced or examples we just referenced obviously come from the Book of Mormon. There's a reason for that. We talk in the church a lot about the Book of Mormon containing the fullness of the gospel. And we tend to limit what does that mean, the fullness of the gospel. What we're trying to, to open up to people's minds and to their hearts is The fullness of the gospel also includes receiving these blessings that the Lord has made available to us, receiving the second comforter, having your calling and election made sure. So there is a reason the book of Mormon has been saved for this day. Second, as we've discussed before, we have a natural tendency to believe that the examples in the scripture are the exception. Not the rule. What I think the Lord is trying to show us, the opposite of that. These should be the rule. They are available to everyone to receive in a personal way.
1: When you start reading chapter 1 of the Book of Mormon, and you got Lehi, and and you got Nephi, and they receive that call, and they got to kind of figure out what they're going to do. Like, how relatable is that? Mm-hmm right Nephi he's just going along with his father he even has to go and pray about it and figure out for himself that that this is all true and i mean how relatable is that to us individually his how can you how can you not say that the book of mormon is trying to say Nephi's path is our path and it, the amazing
0: thing is i wish we had the book of lehi unfortunately that was part of the lost manuscript but i think we would find in the book of lehi that at first, what was happening to Lehi seemed very ordinary and very normal, probably started receiving some promptings, started to have an understanding that things are not going the way they should be going, but he was he was being true and faithful. He knew what was right. And the the greater commandments were given to him from the Spirit, He followed those commandments and line upon line, he was receiving greater and greater knowledge from the Lord until, as we read in the Book of Mormon, the version we have today, that he was having these really profound visions from the other side. And then what did that lead to? Well, it it leads to the rest of the story, right? Everything that we read later on in the Book of Mormon. What we're trying to convey is you have the same opportunity in your life. There are very simple, subtle promptings that the spirit is giving you right now. Do you pass them off? Do you, do you sweep them under the rug and say, no big deal? I, I don't have time to right now, so it's, it's okay that I don't do it. Or do you start committing to following those simple things? And as you do that, the door is going to open a little more. And the Spirit's going to give you a little bit more. And frankly, you'll be proved, you'll be tested a little bit more. But as you remain true and faithful to that, greater and greater blessings and outpourings of the Spirit are headed your way to where you can get to the point where personally you can receive visions, manifestations, revelations for your family, just as Lehi did, just as Nephi did. That whole story is about receiving revelation, in a deep, sincere, powerful way for your family to be a true patriarch. That's what Lehi received. That's what Nephi received. And that's what we have the opportunity to receive should we act on the subtle promptings that lead to greater promptings down the road.
1: I really love that idea about Lehi didn't start off just perceiving visions and it wasn't just randomly given to him. He had lived his life line upon line until he was in that position that God could call him and use him as an instrument. Um, I think that should cause us all to reflect a little bit on our capacity individually. And what really resonates to me, and this sounds like a scary thing, but you commented that as you receive more, well, you will also be tested more.
0: Opposition in all things, right.
1: And so opposition in all things, but also you start with small and simple things, but the time may come when something great is asked of you, and you need to be ready to do that, and it will not be easy. You think it was easy to head off into the wilderness and abandon everything? Well, Laman and Lemuel show us that it was not easy. It wasn't. <laughs> they didn't want to do it. They had not lived their life in a way that they could receive small and simple things into them so how on earth were they going to be successful in in that that great thing it is just they they had already rejected the gospel time and time again prior to that it wasn't like you know it wasn't it wasn't like they didn't have opportunities to be ready yeah of course they had
0: well and that's that's the key for us today right that's the other Powerful witness that the Book of Mormon, but in particular Lehi and Nephi's story, teaches us. The world is getting worse. Jerusalem in in Lehi's day was getting worse, precipitously worse. And Lehi and Nephi had been doing the small, simple things to prepare for the difficult days and the difficult journey ahead. Laman and Lemuel. Not so much. They kind of reveled in and enjoyed what was going on in Jerusalem at that day. And so when when the difficulties came, they were not prepared. For us today, the prophet is telling us it's getting worse. More and more is going to happen that's going to make things more and more difficult. And what we're trying to say in is— In the
1: coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without yes. the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. Right. That is a warning. That's step one. You have got to do the little things now
0: to know how to abide by the promptings of the Holy Ghost, to know how to seek and receive revelation through the Holy Ghost, and then act upon those in righteousness. And as you do those, you are fortified. You put on the armor of God. You receive a fullness of the Holy Ghost. It sanctifies you. And then you can qualify for receiving the second comforter, that we're discussing. Now, and that's exactly what happened to Nephi, not through um uh, it, it was not through roses, uh, you know, a bed of roses that was just laid out before him. He truly had to suffer, take up his cross, and he bore it well. And through that, he received powerful manifestations and received the second comforter and and he himself heard the voice of God the Father. But that didn't just happen one day. He had prepared to receive those things.
1: So I'd like to read one scripture to wrap up this section of the episode about the second comforter here. Doctrine and Covenants eighty-eight, sixty-eight. one of my favorite scriptures. Therefore, sanctify yourselves that your minds become single to God, and the days will come that you shall see him, for he will unveil his face unto you. And it shall be in his own time, and in his own way, and according to his own will. It's a beautiful promise that if we sanctify ourselves, if we are true and faithful to our covenants, and gain sanctification through the atonement of Christ, by being true and faithful to our covenants, he will make himself known to us. He will unveil his face unto us. Again. What does that mean? Does that mean seeing him with our physical eyes? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. But what it actually means is in his own time, in his own way, according to his own will, what that means is it will happen in a way that is perfectly tailored to you. To you. Yep. What you need and what will most benefit you and help you get to the finishing line
0: throw that back up on the screen real quick because the next verse remember the great and last promise which i have made unto you cast away your idle thoughts and your excess of laughter far from you Mm. what is he trying to teach us there
1: i mean that's right out of the 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 temple exactly right that that's that's the law of the gospel yeah that is the charge that we receive Mm. it
0: means just just as in verse 68 above says sanctify yourselves have an eye single to the glory of god you can't serve two masters you can't have a foot in babylon and have a foot in zion at the same time you've got to throw off the simple short-sighted temporal distractions the comforts get rid of them prepare to walk a, a a journey that will have trials and sorrow but will also provide the greatest blessings and the greatest manifestations of the Spirit. And, and that's what he's saying in the next verse, is do away with these simple distractions, which in the grand scheme of things mean absolutely nothing to you.
1: So, the second comforter is the promise of eternal life, and there's many manifestations associated with that. The next subject is making your calling and election sure. Now, you might think, well, isn't receiving the promise of eternal life making your calling and election sure? The answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) For those who are wondering. (laughs) So, just because you have the promise doesn't mean you've received it. Just because you have the promise of eternal life doesn't mean you have eternal life sealed upon you. When you make your calling and election sure, that is receiving the reward. It's receiving what is promised. Uh, It's also called the more sure word of prophecy, spirit of prophecy being that testimony of Christ, that true testimony of Christ, or the, the true testimony of receiving that reward or the fullness of the blessings of the atonement of Christ. And-,
0: and and this is all alluded to in the temple today in the endowment today there are lots of promised blessings that are that are spoken and that are um, pronounced upon you but it's very clearly stated that you have not received these yet, but the day will come, if you remain true and faithful, that they will actively be sealed upon you, right? And that's what we're alluding to here is you can receive the promise of certain blessings, but that does not mean they have been fully effectualized in your life. Sealed upon you. Exactly right.
1: And what we ha- what we receive in the blessing, in, in what we receive in the temple today is the same thing we see on the Mount of Transfiguration. Where the Savior entered in to the presence of the Father, right? The veil was was thinned. Uh, the veil was was opened where the Son could commune with the Father. But Peter, James, and John were there with him, and they were experiencing manifestations of well as well. They were seeing messengers and and angels and um, were very overwhelmed by it. But they even heard heard the voice of the Father declaring that Jesus was his beloved son. And that is, I mean, that's a very sure witness to receive, to hear the voice of the Father declaring the divinity that Jesus was the Christ. But later, when Peter is, is the prophet and the president of the church, uh, he makes it clear that even that experience was not sufficient for him to have made his calling and election sure. Right? He teaches that there is a more sure word of promise uh, of prophecy. Uh, there is more to be done to make that calling and election
0: sure. What he's what he's saying is we heard the voice of the father. He bore witness of Jesus Christ as his only begotten son. But that was another, a, another stepping stone in their testimony and conversion to, to the message that Christ was bringing to the world. It was not them receiving the, the promise or, or not them receiving the actual blessing that you also shall receive eternal life the mount of uh, uh, what happened to peter james and john on the mount in transfiguration did not guarantee the eternal life they sought hereafter that was yet to come and and i think that's what you're getting to here
1: yeah james. i was going to pull up the scripture here as i think peter says it better than i did <laughs> let me pull this up here for we have not followed cunningly devised fables Peter is witnessing very powerfully that he heard the voice of the Father declaring the divinity of Jesus. But then he goes on to say, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. So, you can receive the promise you can receive promises and you can receive you can receive revelations and promises of great things even of eternal life but having your calling and election made sure or receiving that more sure word of prophecy is an additional step so Peter goes on to exhort us, right, he he teaches that principle, and then he goes on to exhort us to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. Is that not the same quote essentially from Joseph Smith that we started with? To give diligence to make your calling and election sure. We have to understand what it is, but we should be seeking it.
0: And that's When we, when we started off talking about this, that was something Bruce R McConkie clearly stated was that this is something you should be aware of. Something you should know is available to you and then be doing the things that help lead to that outcome. I don't know how you find something that you don't seek after. This is not one of those blessings that you're going to stumble upon accidentally. Now, you can't force this to happen. There's nothing you can do, there's not a checklist of things you can do that can guarantee, I'm going to receive my calling and election, sure.
1: Oh yeah, there is. (laughs) Live the law of obedience, the law of sacrifice, the law of the gospel, the law of chastity, and the law of consecration. Correct,
0: however, (laughs) as we read previously, all of these things are received In the Lord's time and in His way and according to His will. So you can't speed up the process any faster or any quicker than what the Lord has in store for you. The point is, though, the Lord has it in store for you. And you might be 50 when you receive it or you might be 95. But the point is, you have an opportunity to receive it. Or frankly, it could be after this life. And you still receive or have your calling and election made sure. doesn't have to, to happen in this life. What we're trying to fix in people's minds, though, is it's available to you now, but most people either aren't aware of it or are aware of it, and they're not seeking after it. They're not doing the things that lead to that outcome.
1: Well, and if you're not spiritually prepared for it, it might seem daunting. It might seem like a lot of work. You might look and say, "Oh, I just give a full list of laws you have to live. Like that's stress. That's stressful. That's a lot of work. Well, you you have to. Your heart has to be in the right place. If if you're if you're being coerced to live the laws, well, that's not that's not how it works. And a different way of saying we need to be living all those laws is actually the way that that Peter was teaching it. Let me go back to it here. Because what Peter says, he actually starts listing off attributes of Christ that we need to be developing. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge temperance, temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the natural consequence of living the laws that we covenant to live is developing Christ-like attributes. You don't develop holy attributes if you're doing something by coercion. That's not how it works. You have to have your heart in the right place and be doing things for the right reason. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are and who you are becoming. And you know You know, you're on that path
0: when, just as Peter outlines here, when you not only are striving to do these things and to develop those attributes, but you want to. Your heart is in the right place to where you seek those godly attributes, those Christ like attributes. And that's coming from somebody who you know, obviously has spiritual ups and downs and has has periods of time where I feel much closer to having those attributes on a daily basis. And then there are times when I feel like, wow, this is so much more difficult for me today.
1: Well, he says, if things, if these things be in you and abound, so we can have them at times and a moment, we can be in the process of developing them. And we're trying to get to the point where they abound where they are bountiful and constant and I think I think that's what you're
0: that's exactly where I'm going is it is you know if you're on the right track when your heart seeks after and and truly desires to have these attributes and if there are periods where you feel like you don't keep going because that change of heart is an ongoing process and the more you seek after it the more you focus on it the more it becomes a desire of your heart the more it will it will basically become ingrained within you it will grow inside of you and these attributes outlined will become even in difficult times part of who you are regardless of what's going on personally in your life
1: what's interesting is he says in verse 9 if these if you lack these attributes you're blind well that's very insightful
0: kind of leads to revelation right
1: well we're seeking to see the face of the Lord and he's saying "Well, if you don't have the attributes of the Lord you're blind to him how can you receive him if, if, if you are blind to him interesting
0: that all of that is kind of in context is all right here where he's really showing you exactly what you've got to do to receive what he received once again just like Joseph he received great manifestations he was not seeking to keep it unto himself. He was trying to show people a way and give them a perspective to receive these greater manifestations for themselves as a personal witness. Well, to Joseph
1: received. Smith started his ministry receiving the Father and the Son, just like the Mount of Transfiguration. Exactly right. But he didn't receive his calling and election until much later. Later on. We have that documented in Scripture where he he was sealed to eternal life. He received well. He received that that promise of eternal life, and um, I'm, I'm sure we have have records of of, of when ordinances and, and that calling and election were were performed for him. But um, it's just another example of it's a process. You can receive great things, and you can receive great promises, but you still have to do what is asked of you and you still have to get there to receive those promises.
0: Well, and that's ultimately for those that have been to the temple and been blessed to have participated and received their full endowment. One of the patterns that the temple teaches us is you can receive great things. You receive certain knowledge. You receive a certain witness of things But then comes the testing, right? The observing and the reporting and the ensuring by those on the other side of the veil that you are remaining true and faithful to what you previously received, right? That was no different for Peter. That was no different for Joseph Smith. That was no different for Lehi or Nephi or Alma or anybody else. You can receive great manifestations, but to have your calling and election made sure. There's going to be this cycle, this pattern of we're going to give you a little more. We're going to go away for a little bit. And then we're going to observe and see, are you remaining true and faithful to what we are giving you? And if you are, we're going to come back and we're going to give you a little bit more and a little bit
1: more. Well, the temple teaches us that just it's in some respects that that process of falling is actually necessary it's part of the process and this this progression towards the presence of the father is a roller coaster of receiving more being left alone to be true and faithful and not quite doing it Mm -hmm. having to go through that repentance process and then overcoming it Mm -hmm. and now you're greater than you were before and that happens over and over again Right, it's natural, it's normal. Repentance is the plan. Yeah. Experience, repentance, growth.
0: The refiner's fire is the eternal process to to return to the presence of the Father, right? I mean that it has been set up this way for a reason.
1: Mhm. And that's and the example of Jesus Christ is man can achieve the fullness. We can't achieve it without Christ, but we can achieve it. And it's, we have to go through that process, that roller coaster, receiving more, doing our best, falling a little bit short, then overcoming our weaknesses and growing. If you do that enough times, you get there. And then through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and all of the sins you made along the way and the, the weaknesses you had, having that all swept under the rug and forgiven you get to move forward with the final product of who you've become.
0: Well, what do we see that Christ, what is it that Christ restored or, or or set up, established when he was on the earth? That through him, first and foremost, all things are possible. That there is a pattern of living to return to the Father. He showed us the way that through proper priesthood keys and authority... That basically seals or enforces what Christ did for us. And that all of these things combined now open up all the blessings of the Father. And that is what has once again been restored to the earth. That the pattern of living has been established. The fullness of the gospel has been restored. And then to unite and to bind all of these things, sacred priesthood keys the authority to act in the name of Christ has been established once again. And and all of those things combined really are the recipe to receive all that the Father has.
1: And then once you receive or make your calling and election sure, well, what does that actually mean for you? We, We have an idea that, well, that means exaltation or that means having not just a promise, but actually receiving that blessing or having those promises sealed upon us in a way that God is bound by his side of the covenant. So what does that mean? What are the blessings of making your calling and election sure? Well, it's the realization of those preparatory blessings we receive in the temple. And it's the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood. What is the Melchizedek priesthood? Why is it named after Melchizedek? Well, because Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. He was a priest and a king unto the Most High God. And that is why he is used as a symbol. His name is used as a symbol for the holy priesthood after the order of the Son of God. Because that is what... The the Melchizedek Priesthood is designed, where is that to lead us. That's where it's designed to lead us is to our becoming both kings and priests, queens and priestesses, to the Most High God. And I wanted to talk a little bit about what that means to be a king and a priest unto God. Yeah, everything
0: that we do in in the temple, in the initiatory, in the endowment. If you pay attention. If you listen to the words closely and really think about what's being spoken, you understand that it is all preparatory to something next, Something, something's going to come after this. And most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about that, but what we're going to show through scripture and through modern revelation is no, there, there actually is more to be received if You seek after it, if you
1: desire it. So, one concept I wanted to share first is what is the model we see with Moses and with Israel. Because we know that Moses went up into the presence of the Lord, and he was preparing to bring the higher law and the Melchizedek priesthood, the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood, to Israel. He was preparing to bring all of them individually into God's presence, just as he was able to do. And, of course, they rejected that. And what do we see happen? They did not receive the Melchizedek priesthood. They were not able to become kings and priests. So, what did happen? Well, we had kingly uh, kingly priesthood and priestly priesthood split apart. We had we had the Levitical priesthood, a lower preparatory priesthood. We had priestly functions separated through one lineage. and then we had kingly functions given to Judah to another lineage, right? So we had we had kings coming through Judah. We had priests coming through Levi. And no single person was performing both of those functions. The priesthood got split apart, functions were distributed, and Israel, as individuals, could not participate in that fullness anymore. And that's why Jesus Christ was so necessary. He restored that fullness of the priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood, that Moses had, he brought it back, and he was both priest and king. He was heir to be king, he was the rightful king by blood, and he was also our high priest with higher priesthood. He could perform both priestly functions and kingly functions. And he brought that higher priesthood. He restored it to the earth. He he set up his church, his gospel, to then give that freely to the world and to Israel, and then, of course, uh, he used his his position to perform the atonement and unlock all of those blessings, the um, fullness of those blessings to us individually.
0: And it is it is fitting as well that Melchizedek who was a king and a priest, wasn't didn't Abraham also have to go to Melchizedek yes, to, to realize the fullness of his blessings as well? That's so symbolic. The fact that that has been restored to the earth. Think about that for one second. What Abraham went to receive from, the, the blessings Abraham was looking for. Most t- today, the children, of the, the, the literal children of Israel, the, the Jewish people, they look to Abraham as the end all be all But a- Abraham would say, no, look to Melchizedek, who is both a king and a priest. And what we're talking about is in the house of God today, once again, established and restored to the earth. Those promised blessings of Melchizedek, king and priest are once again being pronounced upon and people are being prepared for to receive those blessings. That's extremely profound and something that that most people don't quite pick up on when they go to the temple for the first, second, or 50th time. They don't realize how significant the blessing is that they're being given.
1: We're gonna talk about this later, but there's a great concept there, and it's all woven into the temple. But there is, there is priesthood blessings through Moses. There's priesthood blessings through Abraham. There's priesthood blessings through Melchizedek. And, of course, all that comes from Christ. the ultimate source, of Jesus Christ. So I'd like to read a little bit here. I've got um, The Seer by Orson Pratt. And there is a, a periodical he put out where he talks about, uh, it's called Power and Eternity of the Priesthood. And he actually talks about these priestly and kingly uh, authority and functions of the priesthood. And I I love the way that he writes. He's He's so clear and succinct in the way he explains things. So I just wanted to read this. The priestly authority is universal, having power over all things. The kingly authority, until perfected, is limited to the kingdoms placed under its jurisdiction. The priestly authority appoints and ordains to the kingly authority. But the latter never appoints and ordains the former, meaning kings never appoint and ordain high priests. Priestly authority controls the laws of nature and exercises jurisdiction over the elements, as well as over men. Kingly authority controls men only, and administers just and righteous laws for their government. Where the two are combined and the individual perfected, he has almighty power both as a king and as a priest. Both offices are then merged in one, king and priest unto the Most High God. As a king, you can rule and reign, In the house of Israel, you can rule and reign as a patriarch over eternal posterity. And then as a priest, you can give the word of God to that posterity and make the fullness of the blessings available to all of them. And you have authority, or it is given unto you, to do all of that in and of, yourself you are given that as a joint heir with Christ to be able to do what he did and does and that that
0: is ultimately everything the temple is preparing us for and leading us towards and that's, that's kind of what we're going to talk about now is what is the what is the culmination of actually receiving that blessing
1: And there's a few examples in the Book of Mormon of prophets who received these blessings. Uh, Jacob 4 6, we truly can command in the name of Jesus, and the very trees obey us, or the mountains, or the waves of the sea. Well, that's what Orson Pratt was talking about. That's that priestly authority, control over the elements, even. And Helaman 10. The Lord gives the promise. He says, I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in works, yea, even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy word. For thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Again, God gave authority for man to be able to speak and things happen as though god had said it what a mind blowing and amazing gift that men have received in life on this earth now this can only happen i mean there's thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will we have to become perfected to a degree where we can be trusted with that but that is the fullness that that's the blessings of making your calling an election sure.
0: And that is an outgrowth of...
1: It's not just a promise. Yeah. That's receiving it.
0: Yeah, that's, that's real power, right? And that is an outgrowth of us truly, in a more perfect way, surrendering our will, putting off the natural man, and aligning ourselves with the Father's will, just as Christ did. Now, he did it perfectly right? We take a little bit of of practice to get to that point. But the point though is through Christ, you can get to that point. We have examples in the scriptures where righteous men lived in a way where they could receive those blessings. They could receive that power because they had surrendered themselves completely to the father.
1: And they would use it not for to to lift themselves exactly yes but in that's true right. service yep and that's that's overcoming the natural man yep that's what it's always about. looking
0: outward seeking to bless others to share light truth and knowledge with others that's what christ was about that's what these righteous prophets have been about and that's what we have the opportunity to be about we can put off the telestial world in which we find ourselves
1: So making your calling and election sure. Obviously, it's a fulfillment of ordinances that we receive in the temple. Well, starting with baptism and then in the temple. And I think it should be obvious that that means that it in itself is also an ordinance that needs to happen, that we need to receive. It's not something that you know, happens in some surreal way that you don't, you know, can't can't be understood or can't be defined. No, there's there's an actual there's an ordinance associated with making your calling an election sure, and uh, as as um, it's not really well known, it's not really talked about a lot but it's actually right in the Scriptures. It's in Doctrine and Covenants. It talks about it. And the context here is the School of the Prophets. So this is Kirtland, Ohio. Joseph Smith began the School of the Prophets and to initiate the students into into the school, the Lord revealed, this is Doctrine and Covenants 88, verse 139, the Lord revealed the ordinance... Of the washing of feet. And in verse 138, it gives the purpose of revealing that ordinance. And the purpose is to make them clean from the blood of their generation. So that should immediately bring your mind to the temple and to the blessings and promises that we make and receive. And, of course, the ordinance of washing of feet takes you to the New Testament, where Christ administered that to his apostles, to those elect that he had chosen to give his power on the earth after he left.
0: We look at that, that uh, story in the New Testament in particular, and it almost seems out of place. It almost seems out of context and the way we've interpreted it as the the humility the 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 grace the um, the the condescension basically of Christ to go below all things that he would even wash the feet of his of his apostles right and all of that may be true but what we're saying is no like so much in the new testament this was yet another priesthood ordinance bestowing actual power upon those who would need it once he's gone he's no longer here today can we do we honestly believe that that power is not needed on the earth today the answer is of course it's needed that power that he exercised is needed on the earth today and what we're what we're saying is That power is not meant strictly for the prophet and the apostles that are on the earth today. Now, they certainly have keys that are unique to their position. That can't be denied. I mean, we are not going to receive certain keys to administer the affairs in the kingdom of God on earth. However, that power is still available for us to exercise certain rights and privileges in our personal life to withstand the the trials and the temptations that are coming or that are here now, right? So that power exists and the Lord seeks to bestow it upon us. It's not something we discuss or talk about often in, in, in the church, but nevertheless, the ordinance is in plain sight for those that are willing to see it.
1: And the beautiful and amazing symbolism and imagery of that ordinance that we see in the New Testament of Christ washing the feet of the apostles, what, what is he teaching them? What is that ordinance designed to teach them? He was greater than all, and they recognized that in him. And of course, washing of the feet was a social custom of the time as well and it was it was something that servants
0: would do to cleanse them though yes the washing of the feet was meant to cleanse them from the dirt that had that had
1: of the piled upon them exactly the dirt right of the world that yes. they were carrying around with them and the apostles uh, protested they said you should there's no way I'm going to let you greatest of all do this to me just as john the baptist did when christ went to him to be baptized same thing And in what that, you know, and then they said, no, I should be washing your feet, which probably indicates that they maybe even had done that, put themselves and lowered themselves and recognized Christ before as a social custom. And maybe even he let them, he let them, let them do that. But this time he said, no, right, this was more than a social custom. This had a purpose. And And it it was necessary. That's the other thing. And just as they were willing to put themselves beneath him and recognize him, now he was of his own free will and choice, condescending, putting himself beneath them and showing to them that he was considering them equal to him. He was recognizing them now as his peers, as equal to him, co-heirs, to the Father's kingdom and to inherit all that the Father has, and that's just, that just, I just feel the spirit of that and the humility, and it's to think about that being available to us and Christ recognizing us with that level of humility. It's it's almost. It's almost incomprehensible.
0: (laughs) Well, and it it leads us to understand that having your calling and election made sure implies that through this example and through this ordinance, when that is pronounced upon you, when you are given that power, it is not meant to elevate you above others. It is a call to lift others up. You now have real power and authority, and it is your duty now.
1: Christ was teaching Bring others up. That he, greatest of all, they consider themselves well below him. Mm -hmm. What was he showing them? He had fulfilled his mission for them and had lifted them up to where he was, where he considered them equal to him. Amazing. Yeah. And... What's interesting is that if they're all now equal in Christ's size, well, that they, they are one. They are united. They are one in heart. So we see principles of Zion being formed. And Joseph Smith explained to the members of the, the, the School of the Prophets that the ordinance of washing of feet was a restoration of the New Testament practice and it was calculated to unite their hearts. Again, one of heart, one of purpose, Zion. And the very common quote of Zion is, there's no poor among them. They are have all things in common, or all things equal. And... What we see happening here is all being made equal at the highest level available as priests and kings. Joint heirs with Christ. So, you know, how could there be no poor among them? Well, if everyone is a king, there would be no poor among them. Unlike, unlike celestial
0: law, when men try to make all people equal, that. Generally, the outcome of that generally is everyone's brought down to a lesser, lesser level, lesser state of being. You have less, but guess what? Everyone's now equal. Whereas a celestial way of making everyone equal is everyone is brought up. Everyone is elevated. And that's exactly what Christ was doing in a real way and in a real sense was giving them power and authority elevating them up to act in his name, not with words only, but with real authority coupled with real power to do his will when he was no longer here.
1: And just to make it clear, there's a a quote in the history of the church that says that when Joseph Smith administered this ordinance, he stated that those who were receiving it were not only clean in a ritual sense... Symbolically, but that they were also sealed up unto eternal life. They were sealed up unto eternal life. No longer a promise from from the Savior, from the second Comforter. It's the realization of that promise.
0: I I actually wonder if some of the brethren that were there and events that precipitated after this, may confirm this, but I don't even know that they fully understood the significance of what was being pronounced upon them at that time. Everything was so new, right? Yes, and there was certainly so much that was trying to be received and understood all at once.
1: Some of the restoration happened out of order, even. Yeah, Joseph Smith, he he was being led left and right and finding these little pieces of truth all over, and he was he had the spirit of discernment, and he was able to push out what was wrong and put and bring in what was good. And right, he he was just bringing everything, all truth in that he could. And some of it happened a little out of order, and things were happening, uh, you know, maybe faster than than those around him could understand. And maybe even he himself he, he recognized truth, but there was still more context and more understanding that he would seek and find and organizing it better and putting it together. But uh, absolutely, it must have been it must have been overwhelming.
0: It it's kind of funny how the last few years people have talked about the difficulty of keeping up with President Nelson and the changes he's made. It's like, bro, Joseph was doing that daily. Yeah. Like you thought you understood the gospel, and then the next day, some brand new revelation had been received. Like, no, we've yeah. <laughs> wait, there's more. You know, and it's like to keep up with that must have been, it it must have, you must have had to exert all of your energies to keep up with how often he was receiving greater light, greater truth, greater knowledge, and then trying to package that and relay it to these other men and women around him to have them also understand it in its proper context. And that was a challenge as well, was to not only give them truth, but give it to them with the correct perspective so they could then apply it correctly in their lives.
1: I'd like to testify that Jesus is the Christ and that he lived a perfect, sinful life.
0: Sinless life.
1: We'll cut that out. (laughs) I'd like to testify that Jesus is the Christ, that he lived a perfect, sinless life. And... He has the power given to him from the Father to redeem us and to lift us up from the lowest of lows, from where we find ourselves in this mortal life, to the highest of highs where he resides with the Father. And I testify that he has that power and that through Jesus Christ we can receive a fullness of the Father's blessings. And we can receive it now and in this life, if we seek him and we seek those blessings.
0: If we, if we understand that during Christ's mortal ministry, he took fishermen, the humblest of, of circumstances, he took men who had no business. From the outside world perspective, yes. If he can take them and establish his kingdom through those men, and then in this dispensation take a simple farm boy and those that happen to be in his vicinity who are willing to listen, take those men and once again reestablish his kingdom on the earth if he can do that work with them, there is nothing he cannot do with us. What we've talked about today seems far-fetched or seems so far in the future with the day-to-day problems, the challenges, the distractions, the things that so easily beset us. The point is, though, He is greater than all of those things. And we have to stop limiting first Christ and his atonement and how eternal and infinite that truly is. And then second, stop limiting us, who we are and who we have the capability to become. And if we can combine those two together and keep them in proper context, everything we've discussed today we begin to realize, is available to us, all of it through the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. It may seem out of reach at times, but that's you limiting what the Savior can do for you. Put off that idea, get rid of it, and start looking forward to the endless blessings and opportunities the Lord has in store for you in your life.
1: I'd like to spend the last few minutes going uh, diving into a mystery. <laughs> we've talked about Episode 2 and 3. Let's bring it back and bring a little bit of Episode 1 back in here. Let's dive into a mystery. And uh, this is in context of everything we've been talking about, I promise. <laughs> but let's go to Doctrine and Covenants 131. And let's talk about the celestial kingdom. In the celestial glory, there are three heavens or degrees. So, plan of salvation, within the celestial kingdom, there are three degrees. And we know that the highest degree is exaltation. And it's always come across as a bit of a mystery the other two degrees. But there's some hints in here that are very insightful. In order to obtain the highest degree, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And if he does not, he cannot obtain it. He may enter into the other, but that is the end of his kingdom. He cannot have it increase. Well, What this is teaching us, reading between the lines, is that degrees of the celestial glory are associated with orders of the priesthood, or covenants, ordinances of the priesthood. So we know that in order to obtain the highest degree of glory, there's an ordinance for that, the ordinance of the washing of feet. And in order to obtain that ordinance, the highest degree of the celestial kingdom, a man must first enter into a a different order of the priesthood, or receive a different ordinance of the priesthood, which is the sealing ordinance, the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. So you can't receive the highest ordinance without receiving the second highest ordinance and if you do not receive that the the ordinance of sealing well then you can enter into the other degree of glory and that would be the end of your kingdom you would not have increase cuz without the sealing covenant there you don't have that eternal posterity so what we learn here is that the ordinances of the temple are associated with three degrees of glory of the celestial kingdom? We have all the preparatory ordinances of the endowment, which bring us into the celestial kingdom, but without increase. It's, it saves us individually. We learn to live celestial law and we make those covenants individually. But if we do not receive the sealing ordinance, that is the end of our increase. We are ministering angels of the celestial degree. Through the second ordinance, the sealing ordinance, we receive a higher degree of celestial glory. Where we have our spouse and we are qualified for increase, eternal increase. But we do not have a fullness of authority, which we receive by the final crowning ordinance of the gospel with the washing of feet. We do not, um, we qualify to be, to have patriarchal and priestly authority to minister the gospel to our increase, to our posterity, but not necessarily combined with kingly authority authority to rule and reign at the highest level. And that was just a very profound insight that I had during my studies uh, in in preparing for, for this episode and how the three great ordinances of the temple are really associated with positions or degrees of glory within the celestial kingdom. And the Salt Lake Temple is actually outlined and designed in a way that uh, that demonstrates this pretty clearly, because the sealing rooms are an extension of the celestial room. So you have to first make it to the celestial room to then receive the higher ordinance of sealing. And of course, in the celestial temple, there's also the Holy of Holies, which is where that highest ordinance would be administered for true exaltation, becoming, having that combined priestly and kingly authority, the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon you, and receiving that fullness of dominion in in eternal life. And this
0: actually provides a lot of context because we don't typically in the church talk about, we spend a lot more time focusing on telestial, terrestrial, celestial glories, but we don't really get into the details of, okay. We know that celestial is divided further into additional glories, but how do we break that down? How do we quantify that? You know, for our temporal minds to be able to, to understand, but the more you learn about the the temple the ceremonies in the the temple the ordinances in the temple you begin to understand where the initiatory and the endowment is leading you to the the Celestia. new and everlasting covenant yeah to to the celestial room but then to receive the sealing covenant right. pronounced upon you and then as we've discussed recently here in this in this episode once you have that sealing covenant and those blessings pronounced upon you well, there's an additional ordinance you get to participate in and, and and to be a receiver of, you know. And as you mentioned, that would that would be associated to the, the Holy of Holies, you know. And, and as we discussed before we started the podcast, it's interesting that each of these three degrees of glory, as we kind of outlined in our discussion today, apply to a certain uh, a priesthood authority, right, priesthood of of Aaron that's kind of initiatory and endowment of Moses Uh, Moses sorry Aaron Aaron and Moses Aaron and Moses together yep the the sealing covenant which would be associated to Abraham and and the Abrahamic covenant and and the the promise of posterity and then as we discussed who did Abraham go to to seek additional blessings Melchizedek the highest the king and the priest and that would be representative of Exaltation, and that's what we're after.
1: And and thus we see that the temple is beautifully and perfectly designed to bring us the blessings of Moses, the blessings of Abraham, and the blessings of Melchizedek, all through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that just makes the gospel perfect. It makes it beautiful. And it makes the restoration of the gospel, it just brings so much clarity into the necessity of God calling a prophet in our day to restore all of these truths and to restore this priesthood. There is no other way. This is the established way that the Lord himself set up and it is the greatest blessing in the world to live in this dispensation, not only to live in this dispensation, but to have been born into or to have found the fullness of the gospel, and it is such it is such a blessing in my life.
0: And this this episode today, the entire point of it is, all things have been restored to receive, not only a guarantee of the first degree of glory in the celestial kingdom, not only the second degree of glory in the celestial kingdom, but finally, and lastly, to receive the highest, the last degree of glory in the celestial kingdom, exaltation. And there are real ordinances. The second anointing in the temple is real. We don't discuss it much. We don't talk about it much, but it's there. I don't say this to minimize or to trivialize these things, but to solidify in people's minds how real these blessings are
1: and available.
0: Yeah. As, as Peter said, these, these are not some fables that we discuss in past time. These are real blessings that are available right now to God's faithful and righteous children, men and women who are consecrating their lives to do all that they can to suffer and do the will of the father just as christ has done and know how to apply the atonement in their lives in a way in which they live a, a lifestyle of daily repentance they truly are being perfected to the grace of jesus christ and they are willing to give all that they have for the kingdom of god and if you do that not only can you guarantee happiness peace and joy in this life but in this life you can receive a guarantee of exaltation and eternal life with the Father hereafter.
1: Angels are watching. We are being observed. And there is a process in place for that reporting to occur on this side of the veil and on the other side of the veil. And to close out this episode, I'll end with this uh, the last paragraph here of this Bruce R. McConkie talk. Now, I'm suggesting that this is within the realm of probability and possibility for the members of the church today, meaning making your calling an election sure. There are many, as a matter of actual fact, in the church who have obtained such a status. There are many. No one, they don't talk about it, but there are many. Now, what this ought to do to us, I think, is cause us to make a firm, unshakable determination to gain the blessings and benefits of baptism, to gain the blessings and benefits of celestial marriage. And in each instance, those blessings accrue on conditions that we keep the covenants that we made in connection with those holy ordinances. In one manner of speaking, This is the most glorious doctrine that there is in the church. It's the doctrine that assures people of eternal reward in the kingdom of God. And by the grace and glory and goodness of a merciful Father, He's restored in this our day the knowledge, the doctrine, the keys, the priesthood, the powers, everything that's needed to seal men up unto eternal life. And our objective, our goal, our aim, our determination in this life should be, or is, to press forward with that steadfastness and devotion which will give us complete peace and satisfaction and joy in this life and then eternal life in the world to come. He that doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this life and eternal life in the world to come. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: Amen. Elder McConkie had to figure it figured out.